So Damar finally started doing something cool. Yeah, was it what you thought it would be? Kind of along the line, like I figured he was being pushed into a corner and he was going to fight back and he's going, he's starting to fight back in the most satisfying way possible. Now, I don't think Damar is going to survive the series, but he's going to get a very great and glorious death is my prediction for this. But yeah, I, I, I like where this is going. This is a very... It's nice, it's poetic, it's ironic, it's heroic. You know, it, it's a really good development that finally you have Cardassia starting to rebel against the Dominion. And and this is something that they've been, been seeing yeah. for, for a while, DeMar's unhappiness of the yeah. situation. I think it's very interesting that this all happens just in a way because of Wayun's sadism. I mean, he, he damar has been useless for a while, right? Like, if, if Wayun had killed Damar last season there would be no difference in the war pretty much maybe yeah. it would have even gone better yeah but Wayun, for whatever you know sick fuck reason he has wants he doesn't want to it's the kind of thing where he doesn't want to kill damar he wants to conquer him in a way and he gets a he, he wants to break it yes and so getting a broken Damar, in a way, is symbolic to him of breaking Cardassia, and so he is pushing him past and worse and worse and worse, and finally, Damar does get to that point where instead of breaking, he snaps, and he just, rather than taking it out on himself as Wayun desperately wants him to, he begins to fight back. Just as we should be fighting back against Trump, by the way. But uh, well, I I think it's very we we record these a little bit ahead of time, as, as everyone who's listened to the podcast for a long time knows. And it's a little ironic, I think, on our part that we're recording this the the very day that the women's marches are happening yeah. all across the country and the world. We have no idea what the political situation is going to be when this episode is released, do we? Uh, no, <laughs> no. This is a very very interesting time for the world. So, uh, hello, future people. We hope you're well, not in camps. This is being released in about a month. So yeah, it's still the future. If they're in camps, we're very sorry. Yeah. But, uh, maybe, At least you get podcasts in the camps. Maybe the Women's March did actually march on the White House. That would be nice. That would be that. That is our hope for things. Um. Yeah. Uh, 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 Demar. Demar finally finds his dignity, and I think it's interesting that. Wayun sees this. Wayun clicks immediately that something's changed in Damar. Uh, he realized, oh, you're sober, you're confident, you're a warrior again. And because Wayun is so fucking confident, Wayun is so again, this is a this is Hamarsha, this is, you know, overweening this is hubris, this is the classic tragic flaw, right? Uh Wayun is so convinced of the rightness of his and by extension the founder's worldview that anybody who is content can only be content because they've figured out the right way of things. They've figured out their true place in the world. And so, which in a way, let again, further cockiness on Wei Yun's part, that allows Damar to fr- frankly get away with all of this. If Wei Yun had been maybe a little more suspicious, he would have checked Damar's activities a little carefully and the whole thing would have fizzled. Yeah, because I, I, I like that you pick up on that because I love that scene where yeah. Wei Yun sees Damar you know, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and, and, and working his ass off and not, not being drunk because yeah. it, it is really Wayun's uh, both it's Wayun's personal egotism and also his 
blind faith in, yeah. in the founders and the dominion that that clouds him seeing what's really going on. Yeah. You know, he thinks that Demar was demoralized because they were losing the war. And now that they feel like the war is turning around, suddenly Demar is fine again. Yeah, it's a very interesting mood of the scene because at first it's like, oh, shit, he's he's figured it out. Like, Wei Yun actually is clever enough to and. Then, but you know, once the scene ends, you realize shit. Like this is the end of the Dominion. This is this is where it starts. Yeah, I mean, how great. I mean, <laughs> we we should say we're talking about strange bedfellows and the changing face of evil. And as we did last week, we're not going to talk about these separate episodes because <laughs> how could you really? But I mean, I'm sure it's possible, but we're not going yeah. to try. <laughs> uh, uh, again, I, 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 yeah, I don't remember what takes place in what episode for the most part. Yeah, um, that. I love the end of the of the changing face of evil because, and especially that look on Admiral Ross's face when he hears that yeah. the Cardassians have attacked uh, 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 the the cloning facilities, and mm. it's it's oh such... god, and I love that detail, and especially Wei Yun's reaction to that. You, yeah. Wei Yun two hundred and fifty seven is going to be the last Wei Yun. <laughs> And you, and of course, you know, he says, obviously, yeah. Damar picked that target for a very specific reason because he hates Wayun, obviously, but it's still a good thing to oh, do. Oh, yeah. No, that's, that's, that, again, Wayun has kind of made this personal. So Damar's making this personal too. Like, all right, you, you thinking I was useless, you're going to die. Yeah. <laughs> But that's why I love that last scene of of the changing mm. face of evil because it's it's Admiral Ross's expression and also uh, Cisco's expression where they've just come off this horrible defeat at Chintaka and the Defiant has been destroyed yeah. and and suddenly they both realize in a split second that their entire universe has changed again and you know they really were faced with the very real possibility that. They were going to lose the war. They Even, lose Earth in these episodes. Yeah, I mean, Earth is attacked, and they do fight off the Breen, but it's still a, a yeah. pretty dramatic statement on on both the shows and and the Dominion's part that the Breen would do this. Yeah, obviously intended to really shake the foundations of of the the Federation's yeah. you know strength. They may were they may have been able to fend off one attack attack barely, but they're not going to get a second. You know, there is room to be nervous. Yeah, and I think that I mean. It's it's hard for me because I, I I really do appreciate these two episodes and the entire you know arc that ends the the series on a on a plot level and a character level, but but on a episode level, I, yeah. I don't know if it works as well as they were hoping, and I don't know if it's as successful as they were it's, hoping. I don't think it is. This is a six-hour... This is a six, eight-hour miniseries, however long it is. Uh, I, I I really feel like, I mean, you know, they, they really did try, I think, to, to give it an episodic structure, but, but it, it's very, very loose, especially in these two episodes, where... What 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 would be the through line plot of either yeah. of these episodes? I, I don't know if there really is one, aside from... You know, maybe uh, 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 Cisco and, and and Cassidy having a fight and then making up. Well, it, they feel more like chapters than episodes, right? Like you can have a chapter which ends and, you know, there's the minor cliffhanger, you know, at the end of the chapter. And then you turn the next page and it's immediately after. That's, that's what's happening here. They don't really – there are certain, you know, beats that are happening or, you know, a movement or it's – sentences in some ways uh yeah but yeah is, is there a specific problem 
that they're faced with and they solve. No, in in these cases, that's not really how it's working. And I and I do think certainly that there are small scale things that yeah. are sort of beginning and ending. I mean, I think like you know the real the the two real things in this episode that are or in both of these episodes that I think are kind of the 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 fulcrum on on which the the episodic structure is supposed to be based again is is you know Cassidy and Ben's fight, yeah, and then also the the Battle of Chintaka, and they they work well enough. I think I. I think it's astounding to me, though, that that even if these, even if the structure of this final arc, you know, as as we're seeing now, we're we're halfway through it. I'm I'm not really counting the the series finale as part of the arc, even though it is. But you okay, know, um, it's more like an epilogue in a way. Well, I mean, no, things, I'll see things, how it is. Things but... come to a head, but it's kind of like just in terms of I think how they were thinking about this these these eight episodes, and then you go into the series finale um, that. They do a really, really uh, uh, amazing job, I think, of writing serialized television yeah. when that yeah. wasn't really a thing anyone did or had any experience with. I no, mean, this would fit very well with you know the with how television is is uh, presented now. Yeah, if I mean, this is how uh, Discovery, you know, this may be how Discovery is going to feel, frankly, in terms of its structure. Yeah, it's possible. I mean, and I certainly think that we'll we'll, we'll see what Discovery is like if Discovery ever actually comes out huh. because it was delayed again. It's no longer coming out in May, but that's a that's a side issue. It just uh, a, a you know sort of uh, uh, it, it it extends our decision period of what we're going to do <laughs> about it, but. You know, think about like just two of the writers who who work on this. I mean, you know, Ronald D. Moore worked on TNG. Then he went over to DS9. Uh, he had never written for television before. Uh, Iris Stephen Bear had had worked on the third season of DS9 and then disappeared. I don't know what he was doing. And then Michael Pillar had him come back for DS9. So just those two writers, in terms of being able to create I really really out of whole yeah. cloth the writing style that serialized television I think would would really come to be defined as when they had no real experience writing it I, I think is amazing yeah I mean it's not like this is the only serialized television that existed I mean of course soap operas and then there were movie serials of you know the four, that that's that format of storytelling did exist but again as we've you know talked about in earlier shows the way that um you know, a soap opera was intended to be you're watching it every day and is also written in such a way that if you miss the odd episode here or there, you're going to kind of be able to pick it up back easily enough. Having which where each ever each episode is extremely essential to the whole piece again because of the way that people watch TV we start again with start was changing in this era and they did take advantage of some of that. I yeah, think. I think so. You know, now was deep space nine influential. I don't really think so, but, but it, it came out of specific time and place. And I think it was, and I think also if you, if you look at the fact that, that the writers that were working on deep space nine and specifically were working on this final arc, you know, did go on to, to create and, and yeah. run, you know, some really uh, uh, influential television shows. I mean, Ronald D. Moore went on to create the reimagined Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. Now, I didn't see that show, actually. But yeah, from what I know of that, that is very kind of another step in that development of, you know, arc television. Yeah, yeah. And J. Michael Straczynski went on to run a Kinko's. <laughs> no, he did Sensate. <laughs> yeah, like 20 years later. Yeah, what, I know. What was he doing? I think he was writing comic books or something. Anyway, it's not really important. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, living I, off murder, she wrote residual. <laughs> I, I, th- I, I'm glad that you're really appreciating Damar. I'm glad that we yeah. got to this point where you can see where everything was going. No, well, he again, he was, he felt like a character where, as he's been this entire time, 
he hasn't had much of a role, but they are focusing on him so much. Again, it's clear that he was going to do something. They had an idea in mind for what DeMar's role in the larger picture was going to be, and it's one that also very much exemplifies the Cardassian story and the we we've talked a lot about how what is a Cardassian depends on which Cardassian is saying that, but Damar views that Damar's vision of being a Cardassian has a degree of sovereignty that they just are never going to have under under the Dominion, and his battle to regain that is something that we would respect. Yeah. I think that the next. I assume that where this is eventually going to go is that the Cardassians might even be the next Klingons in a way, in that they were a hostile series. They're going to have their independence. They're never going to join the Federation, just as the Klingons are never going to join the Federation, but they want kind of the same things in a lot of ways. And they know, I think Damar realizes that their treaty with the Federation would be under a lot better terms, especially knowing how terrible everything shook out with the. um, with the Maquian, you know, the, 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 what was it called? The planets that are in the demilitarized zone or whatever? The colonies that are Oh, the col- yeah. Yeah, um, I think, I was, I was trying to think if they actually had, like, a name. I don't think they did. I thought they did. Either way. Um, assuming, and I'm assuming this is the case because, yeah, I know we're going to have a good ending here, um, Assuming that now the Federation is destroyed. Yeah, exactly. Assuming that the Federation and the Cardassians, you know, win the war against the Dominions, they're going to reevaluate their treaty together. Yeah. And that's going to be I, be I I think this show is going to lead us to believing that this will be a new era of democracy between the Cardassians and the Federation. Yeah. Well, I, I, I and think, hopefully the Dominion too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know about that. But <laughs> they're they're a little more. Uh, that's a that's more of a tough nut to crack. Let's say. Like I said, I'm I, I yeah I can see where the Cardassian arc is going to end. Where the Dominion arc is going to end, I can't yet. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's by design. Of course. Now, I, I, I like all that, and I think there's a, a couple things that are really sort of key about about thinking about that. Number one, of course, is that the show does a, a very good job of making us aware that Damar and the other gull that's in the episode yeah. are aware of the similarities and parallels in Cardassia's situation with the Dominion, you know, using words like an occupying force and stuff yeah. like that, uh, with... Cardassia's occupation of Bajor without having to, you know, explicitly have, you know, Goldemar say, well, uh, just like our occupation of yeah. the Bajoran people, now we are an occupied force by the Dominion. You know, they don't have to do that. You you have the entire seven seasons before this to make that comparison. Yeah. And I think that's part of where Damar's heartbreak was really coming from before he actually made this decision to, to break with the Dominion and start this this coup essentially yeah well this is going all the way back to season one in the goldar heel episode where he he pretended to be goldar heel and tried to get this big trial made because he said cardassia needs to have a reckoning with what it did yeah it needs to admit what it did to other places now and the way that ended up happening was the oppressor became the oppressed and realized oh okay this is terrible. Now they're going again. They, they, they. It, it was fine when they were doing it to others, but now they've been knocked down, and now they are very much under the heels of an occupying force that they 
is giving them no control over themselves. Uh, again, they I think Damar is kind of subtly realizing, like, all right, maybe the new era of Cardassium needs to still believe in its own glory, but still understand that that's going to have limits and that that's okay mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah, because I think that really what you're seeing is that Car- Cardassia's own uh, self-importance about itself is, is really what the Dominion used against it. You know, for, yeah. for Cardassia, Cardassia is the Cardassian Union, and it is, you know, the wonderful thing that the entire galaxy should look up to, and they're the strongest and the best and the, the sexiest and all that stuff. And for the <laughs> Dominion, they're just one of many yeah. planets, empires, whatever you want to call them, that the Dominion has made part of them. And so yeah. they have no compunction about, uh, 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 you know, bringing in the hot new Breen to replace the Cardassians because they've probably done it dozens of times before. And not, but not only that, not only again, they're, they're weighing is rubbing it in. He's Ducat in the first episode, especially is worried about this one specific battle. And, Having seen sieges in other episodes of the series, we get kind of an idea of what this Cardassian unit is going through. There is a degree of almost – it's strange to feel sympathy for a group of Cardassian soldiers, but you know they're being hit very hard by our boys in the Federation. Yeah. And again, it's a weird reversal that this show is making us – you know, feel, but something that is very much in line with it. And well, it's very much in line with, with Star Trek in general, I think, in in saying that even the Cardassians can be redeemed. Yeah. And the Cardassian soldiers, whatever they are, they don't deserve to have that death, have just be they're They're being thrown away. They're, they're literally a pawn that, Mm -hmm. that way you doesn't care. And I think also from Damar's view, I think that defending have, you know, the resources that it would take to properly reinforce this planet, I don't think are going to be that major. And the fact that Wei Yun not only doesn't, but refuses actively to, I mean, the Federation has had to let, there, there was that episode, um, the one where they were, the, the most recent siege we saw, where, where uh, the siege of AR-558. Yes. I yeah. mean, that was one where the Federation had to leave, had to wait to apply some resources to a, group of soldiers that needed it but i don't think anybody went questioning the federation at the end they kind of recognized that this is one of the hard decisions for way it wasn't a hard decision and i think that's what you know it's not insignificant that the two that the gull says to damar you know we're going to lose a lot of soldiers and damar very much realizes yes that's going to happen but they're going to die for a good reason for the glory of cardassia yeah or they're going to they're going to die standing up in that way. They're going to die fighting for their own freedom. Really. Well, yeah, I agree with you. And I think that that brings me to, to the second point I wanted to make about the, you know, the Cardassians and the dominion and the Federation in these two episodes, because, you know, first of all, what you saw in the siege of AR five, five, eight is that the Federation is a, you know, to use the terminology of today, a multi-tendency organization that respects all sentient life or all life really. And, you know, everyone in the Federation that's in Starfleet um, and people even that aren't uh, Federation citizens that are in Starfleet have, have been, you know, taught and they believe that, you know, all life is sacred, that all these kind of things, right. That, that we have seen time and time again in Star Trek. And so, all of the soldiers in that episode realize that the Federation is not doing this because, you know, they hate yeah. humans or whatever. It's because they really, uh, you know, ha- th- this is a this is a reality of war that sometimes happens. And as soon as the Federation yeah. can come get them, they will. The, Whereas, the Federation isn't necessarily used to scarcity. It has replicators. But there are 
times that scarcity does exist, and it's it's un, it's an unfortunate reality. It's true. It's an unfortunate reality of that. Right. That, right. Whereas uh, the Dominion is a, a top-down, uh, you know, racially motivated organization where the founders are literally viewed as gods by the two dominant species in in the in the Dominion, the Jem'Hadar, huh. and which are the cannon fodder, and the Vorta, which you know are the the diplomats and the administrators. And so, yeah, Wayun doesn't care that some some ridiculous number of of I think they actually said it was like seven million Cardassians have died over the huh. war um, at the end of yeah. the second episode. He doesn't give a shit about that because they're not Vorta, they're not Jem'Hadar, and they're certainly not uh, a founder. The Dominion's population probably is in trillions, quadrillions. How many, you know, how many zeros are you going to need for the for the Dominion's population? Right, exactly. Uh, bill, you know, millions and billions may seem a lot to us, but to them it doesn't matter. Yeah, and and I mean also, but but really to that real point though is that I, I I essentially think that that's the primary difference between the Dominion and the Federation is that at the end of the day the Federation will protect all life because it is yeah. life, whereas the Dominion views. Cardassian soldiers, Cardassian civilians, Cardassians in general, yeah. as lesser. I mean, that is part of their racial philosophy. Yeah, and, and I mean, frankly, the Jem'Hadar and the Vorda are lesser than the the founders, and they are okay with it because they're high enough up. You know, that's the oh yeah, there's definitely a hierarchy there. <laughs> it's I I think it's amazing how you know DS 9s final arc managed to write about the events of 2016, 2017, but um. No, there there is an amount of all right. So your response to power can either be to ignore it, to fight it, or to toady up to it, and that's you know definitely where the Vorta and the Jem'Hadar are. They see you know the Dominion is going to be the biggest kid on the block, and if we're nice to it, it's going to feed us its scraps. Yeah, yeah, and 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 also I think too. I mean, the other part of that has to I think to do with the Federation and how they. Uh, uh, are going to view Cardassia now and the mm-hmm. Dominion too, because you know, as we've talked about in the past, and especially with things like Section Thirty One and, and and the events of In the Pale Moonlight, where the Romulans came into the war under you know pretty horrible uh, circumstances, that you know Deep Space Nine gets this reputation as being the the cynical Star Trek show or the dark Star Trek show or the anti you know. Gene Roddenberry yeah. show or whatever the fuck you want to say. And Although based on some of the stories people tell about Gene Roddenberry, I don't think being anti-Roddenberry is the worst thing. Probably not. But what, what I find so interesting about this is that it, 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 I don't, and I don't know how I feel about this because I think on the one hand you can make an argument that this is cynical, but on the other hand you you could make the argument that it's realistic and it doesn't discount the real possibility. And what I what I mean by that is that. Uh, the the Federation is going to ally themselves with the Cardassians now mm-hmm. because the Cardassians have made themselves extremely useful. Yeah. But I, I think, and that's obviously a way that the Federation in Deep Space Nine is different from the Federation in yeah. TNG because the Federation in, in TNG alliances were built on mutual respect, mutual trust. The, the Federation was not really interested in alliances that necessarily were um, just born out of necessity. And but I don't think that the fact that the Federation and Starfleet are going to have this alliance with the Cardassian yeah. Union or the Cardassian, you know, whatever resistance forces or whatever the fuck you're going to call them uh, coming out of necessity that they wanted to be defeat the Dominion. I don't think that undercuts or, or discounts yeah. the other side of that, which is that even if the Federation had won the war without the Cardassians help, 
they weren't going to be horrible or vindictive towards Cardassia, even if Cardassia had not lended a, you know, uh, uh, lifted a finger to help them defeat the Dominion. Well, that's the thing. The Federation is always leaves the light on, right? They're going to, no matter how many times the Cardassia says, we don't want to join the Federation. We don't want to ally with you. We hate you. You know, the Federation is going to be like, okay, but whenever you want to come home, you know, doors open, you know, you will. And yes. So if necessity happens to be, the motivator for getting Cardassia in the door, just as, you know, the destruction of, um, in, in Star Trek VI was what got, you know, the Klingons to eventually ally with the Federation. If necessity is the reason that gets them desperate enough to go to the Federation for help, the Federation is going to gladly do that. Make sure that, you know, whatever group remembers, we're being really nice to you, by the way. I mean, remember Kirk's, uh, you know, we could take the, you know, dilithium, but we're not. Remember that. I mean, that that that's not that different from the the policy of the Federation now. Yeah. Know? And then they're just going to drown whatever group in enough, admin, you know, functions and parties that they're just going to be used to being with each other. And, you know, because, you know, all right, fine. We're friends. I give up. Yeah. Well, because I think really, too, I mean, if we spin this out and say, you know, surprise, surprise, uh, if the Federation wins the war, they're they're not if if you know at the end of it cardassia says uh you know hey thanks for helping us throw the dominion off our planet now get the fuck out of here the federation will get the fuck out of there they're not going to to be an occupying force but of course here's our card if you ever need anything right and here's you know here's some replicators yeah you know like (laughs) exactly that's what they do (laughs) hang on let me rebuild all of your buildings first Now they're going to, you know, they'll be doing to Cardassia what they did to Boyajor at the beginning of the series, really. Yeah. And I, and I, yeah. And I, but I think that really what it comes down to is that, you know, Bajor invited the Federation there. I mean, they they did not, um, they did not say, you know, the Federation didn't just show up and, and, and kind of take over, which I think is what the real difference is. Um, again, it's a nice juxtaposition between the beginning of the show and, and, and what possibly could be the end of the show. But anyway, let's touch on there's a I mean we'll do kind of what we did last week I think which is talk about the storyline yeah, yeah, yeah. more um what what I don't know that there's a lot to say about the brain in this in these two episodes they, they're I, the brain are very star wars to me well they they look I was going to say maybe star it's wars. just the boba fett kind of you know you don't really understand what they say um I I I I'm okay with the brain they're not that as the eleventh hour bad guy, they're fine, you know. Right. I don't. I, I don't think that there's really much substance there. But they're I, a I plot think that's device almost, in some way more than a. Well, I was about to say that's almost the point. Yeah, they need to. You need somebody to have to rub into Mars' face that oh, we've got the new hotness. You know, your old school. You know, your your old hotness now, and obviously. You know, as Damar says to one of the Breen, you know, you're going to be in our position too. You're eventually going to fail, and then there's going to be a new, you know, species we take in. But, um. Well, who's left? The Gorn? Oh. <laughs> that would be cool. If only they did the Gorn instead of the Breen, it would be a nice callback, but. I think it probably would have looked a little ridiculous. <laughs> I don't think they could have pulled that off very well. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, aside from the yeah. fact that the Breen are, you know, you know, DSS mocking the badasses, um, and they. Uh, the, the one fact I love about the Breen is that their voices were inspired by Lou Reed's Metal Machine music. Which oh, I see it. I love that. <laughs> I think Iris Stephen Bear was a big Lou Reed fan. Um, yeah, or, or, or he hated Lou Reed, as may be the case. Either way, um, I, 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 I think they're trying to sell the Breen's mysteriousness a little too hard. They're like, 
Maybe they have fur. They have refrigerator suits, but their planet is temperate. It just seems like they're kind of throwing all these rumory facts and they're trying to make the Breen seem, again, seem like this amorphous thing. Nobody's ever seen them and lived, and so we only have speculation about what they could really be like. But uh, at this point in the game, it's just— It's like, uh, does it really matter that yeah, much? Yeah, you know, again, so their design is fine. You know, they're maybe not as scary as they should be, but that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's talk about uh, Kaiwen and and Anjin slash Golducat. Yeah, because um, I'm I'm not a huge fan of this storyline in general. I don't. It's a it's a little too it's a little too cartoonish for me. And I, I mm. think that what uh, this storyline in particular doesn't work for me. I think because you're you're seeing the limits of this type of serialization, which yeah. is that. We haven't seen Kaiwen, I don't think, at all this season, except for these final episodes. And you know, yeah, she's been established as as power hungry. She's been established as someone who who has uh, used faith as as a way to gain power. She's never talked to the prophets. The prophets have never talked mm-hmm. to her. She's never had visions. You know, she's a she's a Kai who has come to power because of her machinations and not really because of her faith. And I, I think that that it would have been helpful to see her a couple more times. Yeah, you know, maybe have her really be at the end of her rope or something like that to to make her conversion to the paw wraiths that that more believable. And yeah. and to me, it just makes her out to be really gullible. And and I don't that would not have been a word that I would have used to describe her in the past. Yeah, I mean, she certainly. I can. I think it could have been done slightly differently because, and maybe stretched out over time. It's true would have made it feel better. What this is reminding me of in a lot of ways is, if you read stories about people who had been white supremacist, <clears throat> Richard Spencer. Um, <laughs> you could uh, t- today he was punched in the face. I hope by the time this episode is released, he's been punched in many more places because you know there was so much of his stupid body to punch. But um. People who join white supremacist gangs don't, you know, do so because a lot of times, oh, I came from an abusive household, you know, everybody, we were poor, everybody, you know, I got beaten up, and then I met up with a group of people who were my first friends, and they were first people who were nice to me, and they told me how it would fix all my problems, you know, that kind of a thing. And That's how I became gay. Yeah. Kaiwen is being seduced in the same way, right? She has, is somebody who has been trying, you know, to connect with the prophets and... What has it got in her, you know, Kai of the entire religion? But um, aside from that, exactly. But you know, she is somebody who, but but in a way that doesn't matter. You know, that's kind of like saying, you know, well, my parents bought me everything I ever wanted, but they never told me they loved me. She's, yeah, you know, the the maybe the prophets have given her everything they've ever wanted, but they've never said, you know, good job to her and. The Pa Wraiths seem to be, you know, are the first people. I mean, she makes that point. You know, the Pa Wraiths are the one who are actually listening to her. Yeah. You know, the prophets are supposed to be the good guys, but they don't give a shit. They're not, you know, they need to be begged by Cisco, who is not even a Bajoran, to actually lift a finger to do anything. It's the Pa Wraiths who are being active. Again, if it had gone a little more slowly, because I do appreciate some of her. She does, I mean, she is always Kai Win, right? Even as she is completely under mm-hmm. Ducat's spell, knowing exactly who he is after she's committed murder, she is still going to be, well, you know, why are you still here? I have to, you know, I have right. to study this. This is beyond you. You can't comprehend. I mean, I like those moments of Kai Win. There are moments when she is horrified at what she's done where, she, you know, 
this is again, you know, even and there well, and also there there are moments that you can see how she got to the position that she's in. Yeah. And also, I mean, there's a couple things here. I think that, you know, there is a core of deep sadness yeah. to, to Kai Wen. And that should not be discounted. I, I, I think she's a very lonely person and I think she's very isolated. Uh, but but for me, I, I think that again, I, I wish that there had been a little more subtlety mm. to the the profits and the paw rates. I mean, the show has done really good, I think, in subtle work with the profits yeah. in the past. And at, at, at this point, what you're really getting is, you know, the 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 battle between God and the devil, essentially. And, this, and, and there's uh, the, no subtlety to it. This story line seems a little more at home in Babylon Five than Deep Space Nine. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I think because Babylon Five does get more to, again. Both shows do the do the metaphysical, do uh, the role of the divine in a science fiction context, but Babylon Five gets a little more new agey with it, a little more woo woo, and I think this is hitting those lines almost. I, not I, I think it is, yeah. Not entirely, but at, you know there is something to oh the blood on the book, and that's revealing you know the words of the coast emoji, which is written entirely in emoji. <laughs> <laughs> it's emojin, but okay. <laughs> no, I, I I agree with you. I mean, I think that there are some elements of this which are uh, uh, just frankly uh, stylistically and, yeah. and tonally really off. And uh, you know, I, I think that I mean, especially in the second episode, the changing face of evil, where you know, which I mean is partially a, a you know a, a, a reference to to Damar and Cardassian. I think partially a reference yeah. to the the prophets and all that kind of stuff and the, and the um, Paw Wraiths. That, you know, when uh, uh, Ranjan, what's his name? Ranjan something, I forget. Anyway, uh, her, Gold, uh, Gold, Gold win. <laughs> Kai Wynn's uh, aide, you know, is is oh. becoming increasingly concerned at her, really, I think, capture yeah. by, by Anjan slash Gold Dukat. Well, and the- and I, I like that part of the story, but, but yeah. the resolution, I think, is just way too cartoonish. Yeah, there there is a... The scenes I like about, I mean, because he is basically, Donald Trump is asking, you know, to do the nukes, and he's the one saying, like, are we really sure about this? I can't stand for the, you know, mm-hmm. Donald Trump is going to murder one of his aides in this way. I can't wait for it. But, um, and yeah, like, that part's done well, but then she stabs him and just like, I have, you know, I'm going to put the knife over the book for no reason. You know, those kind of things. I also really like... Well, before I'm mean, sorry, I don't mean to oh. cut you off, but but just one thing about that is that I think part of the reason why that that murder doesn't work for me is that it's not uh, blocked very well. Yes, I, I, I can never tell if it's intentional or accidental, and I think you need to know. You no, know, like, I don't know if they were. I don't know if they were going for subtlety there. But subtlety but doesn't work did, in that moment. And they could have done ambiguity more. Right. Or you could have done ambiguity more. But I, I don't think you – number one, I don't think ambiguity in that moment works. I think you either need to know if Kai Wynn deliberately murdered him or not mm. to really figure out where exactly she is mentally, yeah. spiritually, and emotionally. And they kind of whiffed it. I mean it's the kind of thing where even they could have made you know, the aide – and I don't remember the poor guy's name um, – you know – grabbing a knife against Ducat and she and he struggle with it and she stabs him as that, you know. Right. And, and maybe even in her, she has the ambiguity of, did I do this in self-defense? Did I murder or an inconvenience? You know, that, that you know, how corrupt have I become? Because I don't think she's even, I don't think she's even sure how deep she's willing to go yet. Um, 
Which, I don't think she knows what that means. Yeah, and, and which is part of the problem. I mean, she you can't if you're not fully protected mentally against evil, you're going to get seduced very deeply into it without realizing it's happening. And you know, that's what's happening to her. She's she get, opens the coast emoji under kind of not the right pretexts and once you've gone that far, you're going to – and, you know, at this point, even though I wanted to destroy the book a minute ago, well, now it's revealed itself and, you know, now I'm, you know, glancing at it and accidentally reading it right. and it's too late now. I mean I'm, I'm, I agree with you. I mean I, I think I'm glad that that, that storyline has finally come to the place that it has come yeah. to because, we, you know, she knows that that's actually Gold Ducat now and, you know, she yes. has come to this point and there's no turning back because I really do feel like, you know – I don't really know if there was enough story to have them in each episode yeah. for the past four episodes. And I think that partially might be why it feels like that, too. Yes, that's that's very fair, too. They were just kind of part of it was level setting. You know, this is where Kai Wynn is. This is I, it's interesting where I think we're saying that there wasn't enough of the storyline and that there was too much of the storyline at the same time. It's, it's like you either really need to yeah. drill down into exactly what's happening or and I think maybe what you're seeing is you're seeing the, the limits of how they constructed yeah. the final you know push of the show. Because if you had had an episode that the A story was about this, you might have gotten that. But because... They're doing that serialization yeah. style where it's like scenes or just check-ins with the characters every now and again. You don't get that uh, uh, structure and you don't get that through line and you don't get that thematic push. Yeah, no. And again, if it had, you know, and maybe if it had been written now, it would be this eight this eight episode arc would be stretched over the entire fifteen episode season as well. That may have yeah. been a case, and then it would have been able to have room to breathe. You bring it in. This, you have her meet up with, you know. Ducat in the second episode you have a check-in in in episode six where they're studying the coast emoji together and then the rest is behind the scenes yeah that definitely could be I mean you know because it seems like yes she goes from this guy's a complete stranger to you know she's they're like pledged her soul to him but in two episodes right they're like fucking and she's feeding him melon and it's like Uh, uh, I don't want to you know it's I mean good for Kai Wynn for getting some dick but like I just don't want to I don't want to see that. It's just, yeah. Well, I think we've said all we can say about that. It's interesting we've barely talked about Ducat in this, but. (laughs) Well, I mean, he's, you know, what what is there to say? He's he's doing a thing and he's he's pulling it off. And that's, you know, one thing you can say about Gold Ducat is as sociopathic and mean and all those kind of things as he is and crazy. But um, he's really good at. Doing stuff. Well, it's. It, I think it's a case of because of rather than in spite of. I mean, the fact that he is a sociopath allows him to start a relationship with somebody under false pretenses and slowly manipulate her into you know yeah. doing exactly what he wants. You know, people who have empathy uh, don't do that sort of thing. Yeah, I actually, yeah, I think you're right. I think that, you know, there's always this argument about whether or not Gold Ducat is actually a sociopath or not. And I, yeah. I think that this is probably evidence for the sociopath part because you're <laughs> right. He obviously doesn't have empathy. Yeah. Oh, just like our president. <laughs> well, uh, I, there's a couple other things to, to talk about. Um, there's, there's so much packed into these episodes. Oh, no, it's I like, know. Um, I, I just have a, I mean, a small note. Like I have about, again, I find myself oddly moved by Quark's feelings for Ezri at this point. Yeah. Um, what I'm thinking about is how he has, 
you know, there's the scene where he, you know, is putting the glass out for her every day. And, you know, when uh, O'Brien and Bashir are questioning it out, you know, he threatens to kick them out. What that's reminding me of is, you know, keep it warm for more. And he had this tribute for his friend, which was, yes, there was a lot of deep sympathy, you know, d- deep sincerity to that moment as well. Again, Cork is nothing if not a you know, passionate person, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. it also was done as a very carefully, you know, there needs to be a, one person at the bar. We're always going to remember this and it's going to be an attraction of this bar here. Cork is doing this just out of his, out of, out of a tribute to somebody that he cares about. Yeah. And he's even willing to lose business over this tribute at this point. And that's, that says something. And I, I am so over Esri and Worf, but I'm glad that they're finally realizing that okay, we were act- we're dealing with a lot of weird, confusing, fucked up feelings that neither of us are really sure what where we're at, but we're both making mistakes, you know, as a result of that and, you know, neither of them are I think they're both recognizing that like yes, you know, Jadzia and Worf were something, but yeah. Ezri and Worf weren't and that's okay, you know, it doesn't you know they were pursuing a relationship out of loyalty to Jadzia, out of not sure where their own feelings were, and that's fine. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. done. Well, I, I actually really like the scene with the two of them and the changing face of evil because it it's done really well in that they really do feel like two people that that had an intimate relationship, yeah. even though Esri, Dax, and Worf didn't, but Dax and Worf yeah. did, so they did kind of. That um, two people that had an intimate relationship that had ended and are figuring out how to be friends. Yeah. And they obviously still care about each other. They obviously still love each other to some degree, even though it's not a romantic love, perhaps. Yeah. But, but you know, where Worf is sort of, you know, needling Esri about, are you really sure about this, you know, Bashir guy? Like, you know, I, he seems kind of a, you know, like childish jackass. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's playing with toys and all that kind of stuff. But it feels authentic in a way that I don't think a lot of the Ezra, other yeah. Ezri and da- Ezri and Worf stuff felt. Do you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The science fiction is a way of dealing with that very real thing about you meet up with the next years later and your feelings, you know, you're in different places of life. You can, five years can make you a different person oh, in a sure. way. And yeah, neither of them are in the place where they lo- they can love each other anymore. They want different things out of life. They have different goals, but they can still care about each other they may still get feelings of jealousy and i think they're feeling ways of they're they're acknowledging it as a way to start dealing with it because Worf's jealousy of julian is both completely understandable and completely inappropriate and unjustifiable like he doesn't have the right but you can't blame him for feeling that twinge but yeah i agree with you but i think a lot of it too that i see in that is is Worf. it's not so i mean it is a little bit of jealousy but i but i also as you you know obviously i think everybody has a a tiny tiny bit of jealousy for when an ex gets wants to get together with someone else yeah but but it is like also i think a weird protectiveness and it's that sort of like well okay are you sure this is really what you want? This guy's kind of stupid. Like, you know, I mean, that is kind of that too. No, I, and I think it's a, re, watching this, it makes me really realize that we've known war for 14 years of his life. Like he's one of the main characters of Star Trek, which is not, it's an obvious thing, but it's nothing I really clicked on before. Mm-hmm. Like we know in a way the original series give this gives the backstory of who his people are. Yeah. You know, and then we see him from not quite the beginning of his career, but still a fairly early stage into 
you know, him being a mature officer in a lot of them. I think that's right yeah. because I, I don't know how old Worf was supposed yeah. to be in, in the beginning of TNG. But if you look at it and say, okay, that was, you know, from the beginning of TNG to the end of DS9 is a span of about 12 years. Yeah. You know, we've seen Worf go from being a, a relatively young green officer yeah. to, to being someone who was in charge of yeah. tactics on, you know, a major Starfleet installation. Yeah. So, TNG is supposed to be kind of his first real, you know, growing up position in the in in the Federation, and now he is not a noob anymore. He he's dealing. I mean, even by the end of the of the next generation episodes, like Lower Decks, we're showing him in that position sure. where he's deal. You know, he is instructing the next generation in a way. Yeah, oh. nice callback. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that's right. And, you know, like, I mean, everyone that listens to this podcast by this point is well aware that I'm not exactly the, the most uh, uh, effusive <laughs> lover of yeah. the character of Worf. But, but, you know, it is still a character that we have lived with for a long time. You're right. Yeah. And, and again, I, I, it's important. He is, I, I would say he's very important to the tone be- of the Federation is good, but not goody goody. Yeah. Worf isn't the nicest person. He is not the most warm and passionate person out there. He's not the most lighthearted person out there. But he's still working on the side of of an unabashed good. He is still trying to help people. I I think that's right. I mean, I I don't know that there would have been uh, many other TNG characters that would have been able to make the transition over to Deep Space Nine. And, you know, while I still want to live in the alternate universe where Deanna Troy became a main cast member on DS9, I I think Worf was probably, like, the best choice. Yeah, Yeah, the only other possibility would have been Dr. Pulaski, really. (laughs) I would have watched that. But then what happens to Bashir? Well, he... he, 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 She could have guessed it. (laughs) Um... Well, I, maybe the last thing to talk about before we wrap this episode up is, um, so Ron Moore really, like, doesn't, like, really has a problem with men and women, it seems like to me. Uh, you know, Like, I, he wrote, he wrote You Were Incorrigently Invited, the episode <laughs> where, where uh, Jedzy and Worf got married and we had such problems with that we talked about last week uh, when we got that email from, from John. I don't think his name was John, right? I don't, I don't remember names. Um, have you, how long have you been doing the podcast with me? Why do you think I can remember names from one minute to the other? I don't know where I got Goldar Heel from. I, I, I have no idea how I remember I just that. let that one slide. I was like, that good, was, good on you. Yeah. That, I, I I will never be able to remember another name besides Golder Hill and Donald Trump for the next 10 years. So, <laughs> but, but I think that, um, like there's two things in this episode that are in these two episodes that I'm just kind of like Ron Moore, what yeah. the fuck, man, were you in a bad marriage or something? <laughs> because, uh, 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 you know, Martok's whole thing about how, you know, yeah. uh, and sorry again, we're going to talk about heterosexuality. I'm sorry, <laughs> but, like, you know, Martok's whole thing about how war is, you know, war, marriage is a war and you need to draw the first blood and, like, his wife basically, like, murdered his dog and you're just like, what the fuck is this? See, and on the one hand, I could see that just being like, okay, Martok, because he's this weird Klingon, loves the person who is his equal in battle. And he he and his wife, I don't remember her name. Sorella. He and Sorella are- The Lady Sorella. Uh, are two people who just need an equal that they could spar with and that they're going to, you know, that's going to be able to take it. I mean, they're kind of, uh, I, I get a very who's afraid of Virginia Woolf vibe from the two of their marriage. And it's it's fucked up, but they're perfect together. And 
I don't think it's good advice from him, but no, it's good advice if you're in a terrible marriage and you like being <laughs> in a terrible marriage. And it's it's good advice if you're like a fucking drama queen. Well, Bartok and his and Sorella are. That, I get well Klingons in general are drama queens, so I guess that makes sense. Of course, they I just, withdraw my objection. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 with Cisco and Cassidy, I mean. S- s- I mean, she was wrong to fuck up his his, his peppers. You do not touch a man's kitchen if he can cook. Yeah, but she was, she was trying to do something but, nice. But it's I, true. You know. And, you know, then he gets her pulled off an assignment, which, on the one hand, really fucking paternalistic. On the other hand, he already had to bury one wife as a casualty of war. And you can see his terror at wanting at, at losing the next one especially so soon after they got married again it's not i i do yeah i'm glad you brought that up because i even forgot about yeah. that and i you just like i'm like yeah of course he yeah would be, like of it's course not he'd be terrified right... like it's... why why wasn't that brought up by anybody yeah 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 I, it could have been part of his apology even again it's not the right thing to do but you know, as a panic reaction, Cisco is only human. He is going to, you know. I mean, it's hard because uh, uh, Cassidy is a character that that we only really know through the lens of of Ben yeah. and Jake, and certainly she has been given a little bit of an external life or an internal life, depending on how you look at it, through through her actions to help the Maquis. But for the most part, she's not really a character in her own right. She's Cisco's girlfriend and now yeah. wife and you know for me it's it's akin to the fact that she didn't really seem to think about the fact that there would be all these complications about him yeah. being the emissary and now she doesn't really like it would have been nice for her to bring it up and say you know Ben I I yeah. understand and appreciate your deep feelings for your 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 dead wife and I understand where this is coming from but I still need to do this and you need to let that yeah. you know you need to let me be my own person but that doesn't happen. No, I mean, with I th- Cassidy at least, and I think Ben too. Again, remember he didn't like her on the ship. They want to have a marriage that has boundaries in some way. Now we it we saw the O'Briens take a while to figure out where the delineations in the, in their marriage was. It took Keiko leaving for a while, coming back, and then them realizing they like have they like each other. They like spending a lot of time together, but they also need their alone time you know the their their relationship is really um uh, uh uh built on on children and sexual role play and food and food yeah which is fine and good for them um and maybe part of the suggestion is that's i, I mean certainly cisco's part of the relationship is based around food he is going to enjoy cooking for cassidy anytime he can um but the two of them need to have their separate areas. He is going to be devoted to Starfleet just as she is devoted to the shipping business. Mm-hmm. And he can't make the point that Starfleet is more important than the shipping business. Uh, you know, that that's not the direction they want that he wants even to go with it, I don't think. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I, I part of me is saying, well, this is just the beginning parts of their marriage, but we also know that he is not going to be able to retire on Bajor and that he's destined for suffering. Now, whether the suffering was just the burnt peppers, I don't know, but... <laughs> that was it. Yeah. Um, Jabalaya! Um, 
But yeah, and they, she really burned those peppers too. They were gray and and, and like how do you wilted. Even, how do you even do that? <laughs> I'm not the best cook, and I wouldn't even be able to pull that off. <laughs> well, I think she just turned the volcano, you know, tile to a hundred and figured, all right, let's start with this, and then all of a sudden, um, yeah, they, they they're not going to end up with the happiest of endings, and I don't know why. It's what it's going to be. I don't know. That's another plot that. I don't know where that one's going to end. Yeah. Well, I mean, everything is in flux and everything is, is you know, these episodes, yeah. again, are, are a little difficult to talk about only because they're they're dependent so much on the journey and where things are going to end up. And we're really talking about the, the a really, really long middle portion of yeah. the episode. But, you know, yeah. it, it, it works, I think. But especially with the ending of this episode, which is, uh, again, the Cardassians are starting to resist against the Dominion. And, okay, I, I mean, their next... Their next goal is going to be how do we hook up with the Cardassian resistance and, uh, you know, start to coordinate from, you know, from yeah. there. Um, and then once they – once I mean if that happens in the next episode, then it's all – then I – just about all of the dominoes are going to be really set, right? And then it's going to be time for everything to start falling. Yeah, I mean we're getting into the back half yeah. of, of this arc now. So things are going to pick up, start yeah. picking up. I don't think the tension is quite built as 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 tight as it's going to be, but they're going to let the arrow fly in the next episode or the episode – next week we're going to see the arrow fly. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Well, I think that's it for this episode of the podcast. Should we have a moment of silence for the Defiant? I think we just did. Yeah. Um, the Defiant isn't as much of a character as, for example, the Enterprise was or Deep Space Nine was. But, you know, it, it, it's been Stargazer. Yeah. Right? Now, again, I don't know where he's going to end up. I don't know if he's going to be able to get his Enterprise or what. But, you know, it is that first ship that he loses. And it's a... It is the death of a main character in a way. Yeah, yeah, and I think it's a, a, a. I always wonder about why they put it in this particular spot, but you know, I think it was just to heighten up the tension yeah. of the battle and, and make them really at their lowest point. Yeah, not only did works. He, well because the Chintaka system that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You know, that's nowhere near as evocative as Earth's been attacked, but it, well, it's uh, dependent on you remembering that that was the system in, in the yeah. Siege of AR-558. Yeah. And it's like, do people remember that? I didn't even really remember that. So and No, the, but, but then that, that actually clicks a lot of things into place. Yeah. But but again, to have the... the, the def- and it's it's one thing to just have a bunch of Federation ships to get destroyed. But the one that we... The one that our, the one that our boy Ben Sisko loves the most gets destroyed. And that, you know, that that's a big thing. Yeah. Yeah, I think it is. And frankly, the Defiant was a good asset in the war, so. Well, we'll just have to find out what happens. Maybe mm-hmm. they'll they'll go into battle with uh, runabouts. Ooh. I think that'd be a terrible idea. Well, with that, I think we're done with this episode of the podcast. If you have any thoughts you would like to share with me or Richard or anybody else that reads them, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at truckaboutshow.com. You can check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. We need and love your money. Any donation is appreciated. You can give us as little as $1 a month, and that will give you zipped-up archives of all of our previous podcasts for your listening enjoyment so you don't have to use all of your bandwidth because bandwidth is very, very precious, Yes, especially in Trump's America when yeah. it shuts down the Internet. <laughs> 
You can also check out our other podcast, Tuning In, tuninginshow.com. In two days, we are releasing uh, our episode on the, we're sort of in the middle of the, the last season of United States of Terror. It's getting very close to when we reveal what our next show is going to be. Crazy stuff is happening. It's going to be a good one. I think people are going to be excited for our take on it, but we're not quite done with United States of Terror yet. We're talking about uh, the episodes. Again, these episode titles are horrible. The Electrifying and Magnanimous Return of Beaver Lamp. And if you're not following along with United States of Terror, <laughs> you, that just probably sounds dirty and terrible. And Chicken and Corn. Mm. So check that out at tuninginshow.com. I do have a hint for what the new show would be. Okay. It's about the United States as well. Ah. Oh. Very well done. Thank you. Social media, we're on it. Truck about show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And finally, and as always, please leave us an iTunes review for Truck About It Is. A really, really good way for new fans to find the show. And it just makes us feel wonderful. And we need that now more than ever. Uh, you can be as cool as Chipper with a oh. seven who left us a review who says, very enjoyable whether you are new to Trek or a Trekkie. <gasps> we ha- we're, both of those groups are represented on this podcast. It's very true. Eric is the calm, chill voice of experience. And Richard is the excitable one. <laughs> So, yes, that's very true. Thank you for that very nice review. We appreciate it. And finally, next week, getting very, very close to the end of Deep Space Nine. It is coming very rapidly, and I'm very sad, as Richard is very sad. Star Trek (laughs) is never going to be as good as this again. Well, maybe Star Trek Discovery will be. I'm sorry. Coming very rapidly, and now I'm thinking about Gold Ducat and Kai Wynn. Keep keep going. (laughs) We're going to be talking about When It Rains. And, <laughs> oh! Yeah, yeah. And Tacking Into the Wind. Ugh. 